Hey guys, before we get into the episode, you all know I'm a huge fan of fashion and I have been ever since I was a little girl. And my first job, by the way, was actually at Macy's. And my love for fashion began when I started there because I worked in the fragrance department, but of course, my eye was always on the clothes and the makeup and everything related to style. But here's the thing, my relationship with Macy's didn't end once my days of asking people walking by if they wanted a sample of the latest scents came to an end. Nearly 20 years Years later, I still find myself choosing Macy's time and time again for literally everything. It's become a really beautiful full circle moment that they've been such amazing supporters of our show for so long. And when it comes to shopping, they have everything you need, whether I need a last minute outfit or Kevin needs a last minute outfit for our friend's wedding. We always head to Macy's. They've got us covered. So if you're in need of some retail therapy, perhaps, or looking to spruce up your home or your lifestyle, check out Macy's friends. I've curated a list of some of my favorite items that have helped me upgrade so many parts of my life, really my fashion the most, but of course home and baby and so much more. So check the link in the description and happy shopping Hill Squad. I remember my mom always struggling with her hair. It's Frizi Maria, my mom would say in her Greek accent. Tiehis, what do you have? I tried so hard to find her products. I wish I could share these products I'm using now with her because I know she would be so happy to finally have good hair days. I've always believed that hair is a woman's best accessory. And with Way's new anti-frizz cream, you can ensure that your hair always looks its best without the frizz stealing the spotlight. It's a lightweight cream that not only provides immediate frizz control, but also helps prevent heat damage. And get this, it lasts up to 72 hours. That's three whole days of frizz-free, gorgeous hair. Way seriously has some of my favorite products for taming the frizz. Pro tip, one of my biggest discoveries is using the Way hair oil on the ends of my hair before I dry it. Let me tell you, it's a game changer. Once it's dry, my hair looks so smooth and polished. I don't even need to do anything else. It is incredible. I love it. Frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to the Way, T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com and enter the promo code Heel Squad for 15% off any product. That's the Way, T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com, promo code Heel Squad. Trust me, you won't regret it. Hey everyone, it's Kelsey. And Jeff, and we are here to tell you a bit about our partner Anchor. We know that you're a fan of this podcast and maybe you thought, hey, I want to make a podcast too. Well, we have great news for you guys. We want to tell you all about Anchor. It's the easiest way to make a podcast for a few reasons, but to start out, it's free. Plus, there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many more. Plus, you can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Do it, you guys, and enjoy the show. I'm on a journey to get better, and I want to do it with you. And I'm not just focusing on physical health. I'm focusing on everything, emotional wellness, spirituality, finances, relationships, and so much more. Every week, it will be my personal goal to bring us, the world's leading healers, experts, and game changers, to share groundbreaking secrets and tips to getting better in all areas of life. Getting better isn't easy, but it's a whole lot easier when we can do it together. Welcome to Better Together with me, Maria Manu. hello hello everybody welcome to better together when you know better you get better it is thursday july 9th 2020 the greatest year ever best year best year ever guys living our best lives 
Today, we are going to be featuring best-selling author and award-winning Harvard psychologist, Dr. Susan David, and we're going to be talking all about emotional agility. I'm realizing I don't have that, so uh, I want that. I think I will thrive in life much better if I have some of it. Um, And so I'm very excited about today. Before we start the show, I like this music. It's fun, right? It is fun. Um, If you haven't already, follow me on Instagram so that you can get the alerts when we go live every day. Um, And let's help each other because we are better together. If you could help us. We're going to keep helping you by bringing you the best experts, obviously, on this show every day. I'm so grateful that you guys are uh, enjoying it and and reaping the benefits of these incredible guests. Um, So if you subscribe to my YouTube channel, Maria Menounos, you will get the alerts to be here every day and uh, find out what amazing person we have on. And then if you could help us out by helping us reach other listeners, share an episode with a friend or two or 20 or maybe like a million um, who you think would actually benefit from it and would like to hear it. So um, let's, uh, let's help each other get better together. And if you haven't joined our Patreon, just hit the link in the summary. In the meantime, uh, in the meantime. Our quote of the day. Our quote of the day. Courage is not absence of fear. Courage is fear walking. <gasps> That's from Susan David. Dr. Susan. Susan David. Yes. And that is true. Um, I'm afraid, but I'm still courageous. Yeah, that's her whole thing, which I love, is emotional agility doesn't mean muting our emotions or pretending that they don't exist. It means learning to function with them and yeah. use them even to our advantage, which... It's so nice to hear someone acknowledge that. It gets hard when you hear some, you know, life coaches tell you everything's fine because sometimes it's not. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I have a, I have a page marked here. Uh, I was saying it on the live earlier. Um, so a growing body of re- research shows that emotional rigidity, which is getting hooked by our thoughts, feelings, and behaviors that don't serve us is associated with psychological ills like depression and anxiety. Meanwhile, emotional agility, being flexible with your thoughts and feelings so that you can respond optimally to everyday situations, is the key to well-being and success. So, and then she goes on to say, and yet emotional agility is not about controlling your thoughts or forcing yourself into thinking more positively. It's about loosening up, calming down, and living with more intention. And I wrote at the top, I got it. How do I achieve it? (laughs) So today we're going to figure out how to achieve it. Exactly. Um, In the meantime, I'm so grateful you're helping us to break our thousand mark on Apple Podcasts and get some reviews in there. We did see those that lit me up today. Um, And of course, one from our hometown, Medvid. Um, So you guys take it away. That's right. We got some good reviews, right, guy? Um, First review coming up. From Medford, mm-hmm. uh, going with every morning I watch or listen to an episode while enjoying a morning cup of coffee. Mm. I'm sometimes from Jim's Market, which coincidentally... Oh yes, B-Boys. You love that place. Yep. Um, <laughs> I grew up eating B-Boys. B-Boys are like fresh sub rolls with um, egg and cheese and a slice of ham. Yum. And we would go there before school and we would get a B-Boy. A B-Boy. A B-Boy. Mm-hmm. I love it. Don't it... know what a B-Boy stands for. <laughs> God only knows. God only knows. But uh, or they'll do. They'll listen to the show while doing a workout on the elliptical. Maria and her team curate such a wide variety of the best 
of the best to share their wisdom. I love how authentic and raw it gets, yet maintains such a lightness that makes you feel better after watching. During such an uncertain time, this helps me feel grounded and a little bit more at ease. I think anyone could benefit from this podcast. That is Leah Tringale. Thank you. Agree, Leah. My homie. I agree. Ooh, I have a good one from seriously frustrated <laughs> i'm like i feel like that sometimes i know me too it says love 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 this podcast especially the one with the bella twins and sheena from vanderpump rules Ooh, very nice i love that it's a good guess good yes i got one from the best medicine calling this podcast this is holy spirit for us uh love this podcast maria brings us speakers doctors and authors who help us all feel better get better and be better together thank you maria for being the light that you are and sharing with the collective what has helped you along the way you're a beautiful soul and then a ton of amazing emotions amen thank you thank you yeah we were like dry for a while on reviews but um but we're getting back so thank you guys uh some news to go to, um, you know, seeing, uh, obviously we're, we're surging with coronavirus, which is not fun. Right. Um, but they were talking about how the psychological effects of Corona are, uh, going to be widespread. And I was thinking about this. So I had suggested to a friend to get, um, you know, different insurances, disability, life, and whatever, because he doesn't have any of this stuff in play. And you really, when you're a working professional and you own your own business, you need to. And I was like, what if something happens to you? Your hands are, you know, where, how you do your work. And he went to apply and they denied him because of one bad moment where he had to see a psychiatrist and get on psychiatric drugs. Like it was like a moment where um, this person was uh, down and out because of the work of someone else that tortured this poor soul, and he couldn't even have a bad moment, and now he's not able to get insurance. And I've heard this before. When you're on the go 24-7 like me, guys, finding ways to make life easier is so important for my health and sanity. (laughs) And that's exactly what my friends at Macy's do for me. From working there as a teenager to now going to them for so many of my daily essentials, it's been my go-to for so many years. And having everything in one place is such a time saver for me. With being a first-time mom, for a while now, as you know, I've had plenty of those and being able to rely on them for all the things has been amazing. Plus having everything in one place has made being a new mom just a little bit easier for me. So I know we're all focusing on our families, our health, hopefully our jobs and everything in between, but it's time to make your life a little easier. And to help you out, I've curated all of my essentials from Macy's for you and the whole fam. All the details are in the show notes below, or you can just click the link in the description to get your hands on them too. I have some new picks on there. This little bomber jacket, this little black dress. You're going to love it. Or even with actors, that it's difficult to insure them on productions if they're on like the simplest of like anxiety medication. That's so disappointing. Like, I feel like we should be evolved past that by now. And the truth is, to me, what that represents is proactivity. It represents someone who recognizes something that they need and takes care of it. I think it's so much worse if you know or see someone who you can see struggling emotionally who hasn't taken the steps to get better. Yeah. Well, and so it's crazy. But when I saw this, 
I realized, oh, this is what's going to change it. The fact that everybody is going to be ailing psychologically to some degree, yeah. right, um, is what's going to have to propel this to change, right? Like the fact that we as a, a world, we're all going through the same thing, right? right? Everybody had to get stimulus checks. Everybody had to get um, assistance in, in loans and in various ways because we're all going through the same thing. Maybe this is the great equalizer that will assist in the progression of better, um, better care in that way and without um, penalizing people for going to get help. I hope so. And I mean, Maria, you always have the most positive outlook on things. And I think that's the I way try. I know. It's not I always. Know. I, you know me. Not, I have my moments too. But most of the time, and I think that that's a great way to look at it. I mean, yeah. people kept saying over and over again, we're all in this together. And I know it's kind of like, ha, cliche, but truly, yeah, we are. We are. So yeah, I love that take. I mean, like, mm. that's a great way, you know. In some ways, we pray that this pandemic can be a gift to society. Another thing I was thinking about today is I'm not convinced that in this century we won't face something similar, but now we're so much more prepared to know how to face it. Like if we had taken these measures even two weeks before, the stats are crazy. Like we might be out of it by now. So the hope is that even though it's been kind of a mess and a nightmare, and even though I think most people can agree that government officials across the world haven't necessarily handled it well, now they'll be able to because they'll have a better understanding of what to do, you know? Maybe. Maybe. I hope so. I don't know. I think that everybody has such wide-ranging beliefs over how to handle this, which is why it's so difficult to handle. Right. That's um, true. Yeah. And, you know, we're all individuals, and so we all have our individual feelings as well. Um but you look at something like with smoking or seatbelts, I know that's a weird example, but now it's a smaller population of people that smoke or a smaller population of people that refuse to wear seatbelts because yeah. they've been taught. True. true. So it's just the hope that like, because for example, the Netherlands, they completely locked everyone up for two weeks and sent them supplies and they're almost out of it now. So yeah, like until people start coming into the country. Exactly. <laughs> but it's just it'll be interesting to see if people's faith and leadership can change if there's more knowledge. It's I don't know. Maybe I'm looking too much on the bright side, but that's my hope. I don't know. We'll see. Uh I know that uh that was my kind of first instinct. I was like, ooh, ooh, maybe this will help. <laughs> so um hopefully it will. I um I I can't not mention the Naya Rivera stuff. I mean, if you haven't heard uh, she went missing after renting a boat with her four-year-old son. They found the four-year-old son on the boat alone, and she is missing. Um, and uh, it is just devastating. Because I went to her Instagram this morning. I have chills all the way down my body. I went to her Instagram this morning, and she had a picture posted of her kissing him. And their hair was wet, and it looks like it was from that trip it, it, she posted that two days ago i don't know when the incident officially happened um i think it was last this eve like la yesterday evening was last night it, they yeah. found him yeah afternoon so it would have been yeah it would have been yesterday that she yeah. posted this and so and it and she wrote just the two of us and i mean that is just heart-wrenching Un unthinkably it's devastating and i mean i was even reading the detectives are trying to gather more information but how do you interrogate a four-year-old? I mean, like... Who doesn't have his mom anymore. Yeah. Like, and, they found him asleep on the boat. And he was he... asleep? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. 
Oh, I knew wow. that they had asked him, and he said that my mom... So much tragedy among these kids. I mean, you know, Corey Monteith, drug overdose mm-hmm. in his early 30s. Mark Salling took his own life, and now Naya Rivera. Oh, I it's, forgot about Mark, yeah. It's crazy. I mean, even I did think recently, about Corey last night when this happened. I know. It's like, that's three people who have, in their youth, died so tragically. And then even you're looking at Leah Michelle right now. It's very strange to What's look at... What's happening with Leah Michelle? Well, it's... This is not even nearly comparable, but all these stories coming about how she's been so hard to work with. And, oh, God, um, God, she's, God. Her career is facing a huge hurdle. It's just very, very strange. It makes, I don't know, it's hard not to think about the correlation between what's going on with almost that whole cast. Honestly, it's interesting, Jeff, that you brought that up because I was thinking, I think it was Heather, I forget her last name. Morris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Had posted because she, after all the Leah stuff, she had posted something about like her not being kind and this and that and then this happens and it's like a whole 180 right so i don't know that's what i was thinking this morning when i saw that it's it it's just heart-wrenching i don't know so sad i mean who knows right like i don't know anything about lake piru is that what it was called like piru like piru um i was trying to envision her like having swam to like shore or something and maybe just you know, could be found. Like I was, I hope she's a strong swimmer and maybe something miraculous is going to happen. I was trying to envision that last night because and rather than envisioning the bad, I was like, okay, let's envision her. Like she swam and she made it to some rocks yeah. and she's hanging on for someone to find her. And maybe she's just dehydrated and too tired to keep moving or in a place where she can't move from. And I don't know, like, I'm just, I'm praying that, um, a good a good ending to this story can happen, especially for that little boy. Um, on a, another note, um, yeah, actually, let's just leave it at that. Let's leave it at that. I think uh, I think we should get to Doctor Susan David and see if she can give us some emotional agility, especially even with that. Right? Yeah. It's, it's yes. How to handle life's uh, twists and turns and we all know that we have our own versions of these things that happen um, whether it's a massive diagnosis or a sudden loss and so having somebody help us through this um, is always helpful so Susan Dr. Susan David is one of the world's leading management thinkers and an award-winning Harvard Medical School psychologist in addition to a TED talk that's received uh, over 7 million views Dr. David's number one Wall Street Journal best-selling book, Emotional Agility, describes the psychological skills critical to thriving in times of complexity and change. Uh, Dr. David, thank you so much for joining us. I'm delighted to be here. And of course, it is times of complexity and change. It is. Absolutely. I hear you're quarantining in my home of Boston, Massachusetts. I am. I am indeed. I love it. Yeah, it is a a complex and uh, challenging time. We were just talking um, actually about uh, a really tragic story in our industry. Um, One of the cast members of Glee, Naya Rivera, has gone missing in a boating incident. And when you think about how heart-wrenching that is, and like I said, I'm trying to focus on a positive result, maybe... You know, she swam to somewhere where they can find her and she's she'll be okay. Hopefully, I don't know. Um, how would emotional agility help us navigate the good or the bad of that? 
Well, I think a really important part of emotional agility is that it's really about being healthy with our emotions. And, uh, you know, the truth of life is that life's fragility, this moment that we are in as a society, really, you know, what we recognize is that we are healthy until a diagnosis brings us to our knees. The only certainty is uncertainty. That when we open our hearts to love, we also are opening our hearts to loss. And so there's this really intimate relationship with both the fragility of life and the beauty. And yet so many of the narratives that we have in society are that we've got good emotions and we've got bad emotions, we should push away the bad emotions. But really what emotional agility is, is it's the skills that allow us as human beings to be healthy with the world as it is, not as we wish it to be, but as it is. And what that involves is the ability to be open to all of our emotions, to be curious, to be compassionate with ourselves, and to be able to say, even in the moment of difficulty, how can I bring the best of myself forward? So that's a big ourselves. We are more able to be healthy as parents and to bring about a world that we feel proud of. Where does the unhealthiness start? Is that just in the way we're raised? So that's a beautiful question. And of course, there are a number of components to it. The first is, yes, we know that in our homes, we often have what are called display rules. And the display rules are the kinds of rules that may even be unspoken about what emotions are okay and what emotions are not okay. So if you've got a child who's angry and you message to that child, you know, we don't do anger here, you know, go to your room and come out when you've got a smile on your face. What that's doing is it's signaling to the child that there is no place for anger. And what does that do? It actually leads the child to not actually become very practiced in dealing with anger, understanding anger, drawing on anger as a resource, because anger can actually be a really important resource. Um, And we can do the same even inadvertently with good intentions. If our child comes home from school and is feeling really sad, no one would play with them. We might jump in and we might try to make things better. Um, But again, what that does is it teaches the child that sadness is bad And that child then doesn't have the practice. So there's definitely display rules. And then there's also the narratives that we have at a broader level in society about difficult emotions. You know, the idea that anger is default, a destructive emotion, is a display rule in society. And yet we know that most of the conversations that are happening right now about racial justice, for instance, come from a place of anger. And that anger can be really powerful in exacting necessary change in society. And so these emotions are powerful and we can learn how to be effective with them. All right, friends, let's talk about something we all do. Snack. Trust me, I've definitely overindulged in the past, but as you know, I am focused 
on my health these days. And I think I found the healthier snack that you don't have to lose out on the flavor. And it's definitely become my go-to. It first came into the house because of Kevin. He was obsessed with wonderful pistachios. And then I got addicted. And now it's in my travel bag. I don't leave home without it. It's in our glove compartments because they don't melt. Right now, my favorite flavor is the sweet chili flavor. It feels like some of the naughtier kind of snacks I used to use where I used to lick my fingers after. Now I lick them and I feel safer. Um, Plus, Wonderful Pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts. Each one ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. That's crazy, guys. So if you're looking for the perfect snack, trust me and head over to www.wonderfulpistachios.com to snag a bag of Wonderful Pistachios. You're going to love them. So that we aren't being driven by them in unhealthy ways, but rather we are living into our values with them. Yeah. So I need to figure out how to be emotionally agile very fast because as we are embarking on having children, I am horrified even just hearing that your your instincts that are based on your environment and your raising and your youth and your parents could be completely screwing up your child um, trying to like race and to make them feel better or, you know, whatever it is. Um, it doesn't feel like you can do anything right. Well, well, let me first say that the, the most important part of emotional agility is self-compassion. Okay. okay. So all of us, I'm a parent of two children, all of us, we doing the best we can with who we are and with the resources that we have been given. And if we model self-compassion, you know, we can't model perfection, but we can model self-compassion. And if we can model self-compassion, even in our mistakes with our children, that is really, really powerful because we are in a moment where the world seems to be inviting us to self-criticism. You know, why aren't you making the most of quarantine? Why aren't you becoming fit and writing a book? Whereas actually we should be inviting ourselves into a moment of self-compassion. So self-compassion is really important. The other thing that I will say is that, you know, we all do this. I remember many years ago when my son was born, I took him to the doctor for his first vaccinations. And it was this really interesting experience because, of course, when a baby is little, you look after every burp and fart and, you know, blowout that they have. And then you take them to a stranger and you hand them over to the stranger to effectively get vaccinations and be hurt. I'm not anti-vax, but it is kind of like you cocoon the child and then you hand them over to a stranger. And to be clear, I'm not anti-vax. But I remember going to the doctor and Noah, my son, was like smiling and joyous and happy. And I handed him over to the doctor and the doctor gave him these shots. And Noah went from, you know, absolute glee into outrage. And he started crying and screaming. And I did exactly what you describe. I picked him up and I said, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. And the doctor was so kind and gentle, but barely looking up from what he was doing, the doctor said to me, Susan, it's not okay. Your child is in pain and it's not okay. It will be okay but it's not okay now. And that was really interesting to me because of course I've got a flipping PhD in this stuff. (laughs) And I did the very thing that they say, you know, you invalidate your child. And I remember coming home and I was like hormonal and beating myself up about it. And 
my husband came home from work and I said to him, you'll never believe what I did. You know, Noah was upset and I invalidated his emotions. I said, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. And my husband, Anthony, you know, looked at me with this very dry, sardonic, you know, doctor type humor. Uh, he's a physician. And he listened to me raging. And then he said to me, it's okay, Sue. You know, it's okay. And what he was really telegraphing to me is we all have these uh, ideas of how we want to be as parents. And certainly the things that emotional agility teaches are more effective and more helpful with ourselves and the way we parent and come to our relationships. But all of us, every single one of us is doing the best we can Mm -hmm. with who we are, with what we've got and with the resources that we've been given in life. And I think if we can hold to that, that's a really powerful place to be in the world. Yeah. We were talking earlier, it was trending on Twitter today, um, that with, you know, the pandemic, psychological, um, the ramifications psychologically on people is is going to be so widespread. And uh, my instinct was that perhaps this will be the catalyst for change around mental health discussion and insurances and being able to be insured for something because, you know, regardless of whether you've seen a psychiatrist and been on anxiety medication and things like that, I'm hoping that that's the case. What do you think about that? Well, I am so excited that this conversation is happening. What I've been experiencing is with, you know, global organizations, CEOs, I've been doing these massive calls where we are talking about this topic. And it doesn't escape me that 12 months ago, we would not be having this conversation at this level. And so I'm so excited about this because even pre-pandemic, we knew the World Health Organization, for instance, had noted that depression was the leading cause of disability globally, outstripping heart disease, outstripping cancer, depression was the leading cause. And yet in our organizations, in our society, uh, this idea that mental health and illness are things that we are not actively talking about is a form of overt and perverse denial. And it's only when we are able to really have the discussions in a courageous way that need to be had, that we can bring about systemic change. And as you describe, in our organizations, in our insurance, in the way we come to these conversations. This is, again, why emotional agility is not just about being positive. It's actually about saying, what are our difficult emotions that often draw us into uncomfortable conversations? What does that give us as a society? It gives us a lot because we now move from denial into the space of trying to understand and work through and to rebuild. And I think that's really powerful. So yeah, I I hope that is the case. Yeah, it's funny, you bring up the positivity thing and I wanna go to one of my March pages here that I started with earlier today um, where you talk about emotional rigidity, the research shows that emotional rigidity, getting hooked by thoughts and feelings and behaviors that don't serve us is associated with psychological ills like depression and anxiety, while emotional agility being flexible with your thoughts and feelings so that you can respond optimally to everyday uh, situations is key 
to being successful and for your well-being. And yet emotional agility isn't about controlling your thoughts or forcing yourself into thinking more positively, which I marked. And then at the top, I said, I got it. How do I achieve it? How do I do it? How do I do it? Please tell us how to be emotionally agile so that we aren't stuck in those thoughts. And, and I do see, you know, those patterns, um, that I have as well that I want to break out of. And so my training that I've been doing spiritually and emotionally is really trying to reach for that next best feeling thought and trying to, to use that as a tool but I recognize that it isn't just about going to the positive because the contrast is what's important where you were talking about before, right? Contrast yeah. is so important in life. It tells you when there's, it, there's a reason why you're like that and you need to now go into that reason, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. And just to be clear, I'm not anti-happiness or anti-positivity. You know, I am a happy person. I love being happy. I edited a 90 chapter handbook on happiness. I I believe strongly that happiness is a powerful experience. But here's what happens when we have a narrative around happiness that basically says, you know, just think happy, just be positive, get rid of people in your life who aren't positive. Here's what happens. Firstly, we become very us and them. People who are going through normal, natural, difficult experiences now become somehow labeled as toxic and we become as a society less compassionate. What does it do to ourselves? When we have difficult experiences, so that might be, I feel guilty as a parent. I feel bored in my job. I feel sad because of something that's going on in my relationship. When we have these difficult emotions, these emotions are actually signposting things that we care about. So what I'm suggesting here is not just that we, you know, get, you know, better with managing our difficult emotions, but actually something way beyond that, which is that these emotions that we call negative are actually not negative. They're difficult to experience, but they're not, you know, good, bad, positive, negative in that way. What am I meaning here? When we have a difficult experience, If I feel guilty as a parent, and you imagine a piece of paper that says guilty on the one side of that piece of paper, if you flip that piece of paper over and you say connectedness with your children, and that yes, right now you're with them 24-7, but you are so on top of them about their homework and whether they've made their bed or not, that you actually don't have that presence and connectedness. If you're bored in your job, the flips. I remember my mom always struggling with her hair. It's Frizi Maria, my mom would say in her Greek accent. Tiehis, what do you have? I tried so hard to find her products. I wish I could share these products I'm using now with her because I know she would be so happy to finally have good hair days. I've always believed that hair is a woman's best accessory. And with Way's new anti-frizz cream, you can ensure that your hair always looks its best without the frizz stealing the spotlight. It's a lightweight cream that not only provides immediate frizz control, but also helps prevent heat damage. And get this, it lasts up to 72 hours. That's three whole days of frizz-free, gorgeous hair. Way seriously has some of my favorite products for taming the frizz. Pro tip, one of my biggest discoveries is using the Way hair oil on the ends of my hair before I dry it. Let me tell you, it's a game changer. Once it's dry, my hair looks so smooth and polished. I don't even need to do anything else. It is incredible. I love it. Frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to the Way. 
T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com and enter the promo code Heel Squad for 15% off any product. That's the way. T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com. Promo code Heel Squad. Trust me, you won't regret it. The side of that might be that you value growth and learning. If you said about something in your relationship, it might be that you value being seen and right now you don't feel seen. So you can see where I'm going with this, that if we shut ourselves off to those difficult emotions, we actually lose our capacity to adapt, to adjust, and to move into a space that evokes authentic happiness. So that's a first part of it. But a second part, which speaks to your question about how do we get there, you know, like what is really important here, is that often when people do have difficult emotions, what they do is one of two things. The first is bottle the emotions. They push them aside. They say things like, it's a bad emotion. I shouldn't experience it. At least I've got a job. You know, I should be grateful. So what we do is we push aside these difficult emotions. And if you've ever had a delicious piece of chocolate cake in the refrigerator and you've tried not to think about that delicious chocolate cake, Mm. you will know exactly what I'm talking about when I say, when we push aside our difficult emotions, there's actually what we call an amplification effect. You can't actually push it aside and you start thinking about it and thinking about it even more. And what generally happens is the emotion kind of escapes in a different way. So you lash out at your dog or your children because you're angry with your husband. (laughs) So bottling doesn't work. Um, By the same token, brooding, which is getting so stuck in our emotions, why do I feel the way I feel? This is terrible. Just when I think life is going in my direction, we get stuck in our emotions. And brooding also doesn't work. So bottling doesn't, brooding doesn't. Both of those are associated with lower levels of well-being, high depression, high anxiety, um, difficulty in relationships because you either pushing away, pushing away emotions and you aren't conveying vulnerability or you're so tight with your emotion that you aren't really in the world. And so these ways of being actually stop us from being effective. And emotional agility, which is what I describe, is a different way of being with our emotions. And there are particular skills that we can explore, but this is really why I talk about this idea about happiness trying to grasp for it and push it actually doesn't work. So if you're working with someone and you want to know, are they someone who has emotional agility or not? What would some questions be? Like we can, we can be the guinea pigs here so that everybody can understand what category they fall into because you either have it or you don't, right? Absolutely. No, you can develop it. I mean, yes, people are, people are, very often more likely to be emotionally agile because of what we described earlier, which is you've been raised in a particular family or you, you know, have gone through particular experiences that invite you to be in a place with your emotions that actually uh, lands up working for your well-being. How often Um, does that really happen though, Dr. David? Like that sounds like such utopia. Well, I mean, firstly, I mean, I think what's really important here is it's not a, it's not a, like you either have it or you don't. Okay. I mean, I describe, for instance, when I was young, uh, you know, one of the things that I think is really important with these ideas is yes. While my ideas are very much 
uh, drawing on the research and on a lot of the research that I've done as well, um, really my interest in this topic came not through ivory towers, but through my own life experience. Mm -hmm. um, you can hear from my accent, I'm not from America. I grew yeah. up in apartheid South Africa. I grew up as a white South African in apartheid South Africa, in a country and community that was committed to denial, effectively, to denial of emotions and denial of other people's pain. And when I was around 15 years old, my father was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And I remember my father dying on a Friday and I went to school on the Monday because my mother had felt that it was really important for us to, you know, keep a routine, that that was really critical. And I recall going to school on the Monday and the Monday went to Wednesday, went to Friday and the May went to September, went to November and I just went about with my usual smile. You know, people would say to me, how are you doing? And I would say, you know, I'm okay. Because in a world that seems to value relentless positivity, often we feel that that's what's being asked of us, that yeah. we are okay. Yep. Um, but in truth, you know, and you, you know from your experience, I mean, in truth, I was struggling. Um, mm -hmm. My mother had lost the love of her life. My father had uh, not been able to keep his small businesses going, and so the creditors were knocking. And I started to spiral down fast. Um, I, as so many young girls do, I started to use food to numb my pain. Um, binging and purging was the form that that, take, uh, that that took for me. And, you know, why am I telling this story? Because we had an English teacher. This English teacher was beautiful. And she handed out these blank notebooks and she said to us, write, tell the truth, write like no one is reading. And I felt like I was invited to show up to the reality of my experience. And it was in that journaling that I developed a sense of resilience. And yes, you know, the pain and the regret was there, but also a sense of not forced positivity, but authentic connectedness with myself that leads me to feel resilient. Now, why am I saying that in the context of this question? Because emotional agility is not something that we either, you know, it's either on or it's off. For all of us, you know, it's not like, you know, I never get hooked by my difficult emotions and yell at my husband or, you know, but really what is emotional agility? It's about a practice that invites us to firstly, let go of ideas that some emotions are good and some emotions are bad. It invites us instead to say that as human beings, we are big enough and beautiful and capacious enough to experience all of our emotions. Okay, so that's the first thing. The second thing it does is it invites us into being able to be compassionate with ourselves. That when someone's lost a job in a pandemic, or when they're struggling to homeschool their children and keep food on the table and their jobs going, that that's tough. Mm -hmm. That's tough. And we don't get anywhere in this world with self-criticism. Practicing self-compassion is really important. But then there are particular skills that if you open to, I can share with you, Please. but they're particular skills that help people to move from the space of just being stressed in the moment, 
hooked by emotions into a space that feels more um, responsive and values connected. Yeah, I think that uh, we need the skills. Um, I think that a lot of us can feel powerless by our emotions. Yes, yes. And we can especially feel powerless by emotions again when there are these narratives that the emotion is bad. Mm -hmm. So what often starts happening with the emotion is we start having type one emotions and type two emotions. And if you bear with me, I'll describe what I mean here. A type one emotion is you feeling angry or you feeling stressed or you feeling sad. That's your experience. A type two emotion is when you now layer judgment on your emotion. I'm sad that I'm sad. I shouldn't be sad. You know, um, I'm not allowed to be stressed. If I get stressed, I'm going to have, you know, all these diseases and I, I can't be stressed. And so we start layering on a whole level of judgment and punishment and criticism. And so when we do this, we, you know, struggle to actually learn from our emotion. We now are what you describe, which is in this tug of war with the emotion. And so what I want to describe is something very different, which is when you feel a tough emotion, don't race for the exit. Instead, you know, show up to the emotion and say to yourself, hmm, what is this emotion telling me? You know, what is this emotion telling me about what's important here? If you are feeling exhausted, that emotion, again, might be signposting that you need to take time out for yourself. Or, as I mentioned before, boredom, that you value growth. So slow down into your emotion instead of racing for the exits. A second strategy that I would describe that's very, very powerful is as a first-time mom with a baby, I'm always on the go, whether it's running errands, getting my coffee, going to doctor's appointments, or just spending quality time with little Athena. And that's why I rely on wonderful pistachios to keep me fueled and ready for anything, no matter where I am. Kevin even keeps us bag stashed in the nursery. <laughs> you know, for the nighttime hunger moments. Wonderful pistachios comes in a variety of flavors and sizes, making them the perfect snack to have literally any time, whether I'm enjoying them during a quick break in between taping this show or I'm on the go and it's in the diaper bag. I do carry it in my travel bag and they're in my car. At this point, when I'm leaving the house, I think keys, wallet, wonderful pistachios. <laughs> Bonus, wonderful pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts with six grams of protein in every one ounce serving. So on top of all that, they keep me feeling satisfied. I'm energized while I'm juggling all this crazy stuff in life. Next time you're looking for a convenient and guilt-free snack, head over to www.wonderfulpistachios.com and stock up on your favorite flavors today. Minus the sweet chili. Often we use very big emotions to describe something that is actually quite specific. So I'm stressed. I'm stressed is the most common one I hear. You know, I'm stressed, I'm stressed, I'm stressed. But there is a world of difference between stress and disappointment, stress and exhaustion, stress and that knowing, gnawing feeling in your heart that you're in the wrong job or the, the wrong relationship. When we move beyond this umbrella term and we start saying, what are two other options? What else might I really be experiencing here? This is called emotion granularity. 
when we start saying, what is it that's actually going on here? What the research shows is that it invites us into a completely different narrative. When you say, I'm stressed, we feel immobilized by that stress. But when we say, huh, what's going on is I'm feeling exhausted. What you can see that labeling that emotion more specifically, what it actually does is it activates what is called the readiness potential in our brains. And it's that potential that allows us to then say, huh, exhausted, what do I need to do? How can I take active steps? So that's really powerful. And then a third strategy, and then I'll pause is, because actually it's powerful talking about the pause. Um, a third strategy is often when we're feeling difficult emotions, we describe ourselves as the emotion. So let me explain what I mean here. I am sad. I am all of me, 100% of me, every part of me is sad. When you use language like I am sad, I am angry, you know, I am being undermined, I am not creative. What you are doing is you are defining your whole being by that singular label. But you aren't your emotion. You are much more than your emotion. You are your values, your intentions, your dreams, your hopes, who you want to be in the world. When you label yourself by I am sad, there's no space for anything else. So what we know again is if you start, and this is a mindfulness technique actually, is start to label your thoughts, your emotions, your stories for what they are. They are thoughts they are emotions, they are stories. So I am sad. I'm noticing that I'm feeling sad. Mm. I'm being undermined. I'm noticing the thought that I'm being undermined. There's no point in me applying for that job because I am not creative. I'm noticing that that's my I'm not creative story. Now, this sounds, you know, like a linguistic trick, but actually it's, it is a linguistic trick, but it's extraordinarily powerful because you are creating space. And in that space, you can start to breathe and insert other parts of yourself. And if you think about it, like when you say, I am sad, it's almost as if, if you, if you imagine a cloud in the sky, it's almost like you've become the cloud, you've become the sad. But when you say, I'm noticing that I'm feeling sad. What you've done is you've pulled back and you are now the sky. You've still got that cloud there, but you are now that sky. You are expansive and you are able to bring yourself in a different way to the situation that you face. Wow. Does that help in some, in some way with what you're describing with yeah. controlling versus being I'm captivated because I feel like again whether it's environmental or, or societal we have all learned from each other right so we all say the same things like I'm so angry I'm so upset I'm so stressed but when you talk about it like that it's it, it could be your dominant thought in the moment yes. but is it who you are holistically no like I I'm a very happy, positive person. I always have been, but 
I'm doing myself such a disservice when I'm labeling myself as so stressed and, and I am doing exactly what you're saying. I'm in a situation where like, I'm so stressed, I'm going to get myself sick. And then I'm going to regret that I didn't take care of myself and that I was worried about everybody else. And, um, and, and trying to, um, bait myself into making a decision for myself. Yes. Right. And so I think that labeling more specifically and looking at it like a pie chart almost where it's like, okay, this is a situation that's making me feel sad, but that doesn't have to mean that my entire day is dictated by that situation. Cause there are other situations throughout my day that can have a whole other meaning. Yes. Yes, it absolutely. And when, when you are emotionally rigid, what you kind of doing with that sadness is saying, you know, I'm sad. I'm either stuck in the sadness or stuck in the tug of war about whether I should or shouldn't be sad. Um, but I'm also not learning from the sadness and it's not helping me to adjust. When you're emotionally agile, what you're doing is you're saying, huh, that's interesting. I'm feeling sad right now. You're showing up. The first part of emotional agility is about showing up to that emotion. Then what you're doing is you're stepping out of it we own our emotions they don't own us so we can step out of our emotions by saying you know i'm labeling this you know is it sad or you know is it something else that's going on here and am i defined by the sadness no but what you can also start doing is you can also start inviting yourself into that space of saying what is the sadness signaling to me about what is important not every emotion is signaling that there's some you know huge thing that you need to attend to but if you're starting to feel you know these moments of sadness or these moments of exhaustion in an ongoing way when you push that aside you can't actually adapt you can't actually be agile you can't be present to the moment and the circumstance that is being called of you in that moment. And so when you then start saying like, what is the sadness telling me? You know, it might be telling me that I'm feeling lonely. You know, that even in the midst of a relationship, we can be lonely in a crowd. I'm feeling lonely. And that sadness is signaling that I need more connection. And that's beautiful. You know, that signal is beautiful. That invites us now into the capacity to get more of what we need, of what is of value to us in our lives. And that, I think, is just so powerful. Yeah, it's like your inner spirit's talking to you. You're letting it. You, you're opening yourself up to the psychology of what it is we are trying to be. And, you know... It's, it's a really fascinating thing because, again, we've got all these narratives about emotions. But I think all of us have wisdom inside of us. All of us have a space that is that space of calm and breathing and connection and courage. But often what we do is we're so busy in our heads, you know, trying to replace one thought for another or, you know, trying to think positive or trying to, you know, check off our to-do list that we don't allow us to be in that space with ourselves. And it's in that space that actually I think so much of our joy and wisdom comes. 
I feel like a lot of times, and I, I as I've examined my own patterns, um, when I was in tough situations, I used my feelings as like an emotional defense shield. Like, stay away. I can't handle anymore. And I'm being tortured and this is toxic and I'm suffering and and in a way wouldn't allow any joy in in those moments because if someone saw I had joy, then they could come get more out of me. Yes. Does that make sense? Yes, it makes complete sense. It and I feel like people do sense. that where it's like, I can't, I can't handle anymore. You push everybody away. You push everything away. And, and I wonder what you have to say about that because you're giving your your power away too, right? Because you should be able to have the power to say, this is what I'll take, this is what I won't take, or this is what I'll accept, this is what I won't accept. But instead, it's almost like you have to build this this mountain in front of you and say, don't come over. And, and it's such an interesting thing because we can feel the wall go up as we do it. And we know that that wall is there and that wall becomes a, a mechanism as you describe. I often think, you know, I I think of uh, Viktor Frankl. Viktor Frankl survived the Nazi death camps. And he, in his books, describes what I think is one of the most powerful sentiments uh, that human beings can have. It's, you know, between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space is our power to choose. And it's in that choice that lies our growth and our freedom. When we are hooked, when we are in agile, there's no space between stimulus and response. I feel stressed and I lash out. I feel stressed, so I bring my cell phone to the dinner table and, you know, ignore everyone around me. I feel undermined in the meeting, so I shut down. Um, I feel lonely and paradoxically then I push people away because I'm scared of rejection. And so when you're hooked, there's no space between stimulus and response. Basically, you're feeling an emotion or you're having a thought and you are reacting to that. So what's happening in that circumstance is the emotion or the thought is owning you. To use your language, it's owning your power rather than you owning it. And emotional agility, when we are instead you know open to what is this emotion telling me what's a value here what are you starting to do when you show up to your difficult emotions when you label them when you don't define yourself in the i am way about your emotions when you start saying you know what are my values here what you're then doing is you still might be feeling the feeling but now you own the feeling so I'm feeling stressed, but I'm labeling it for what it is. I'm recognizing it. And then I'm recognizing that the stress that leaves no space between stimulus and response leads me to push people away. Um, But actually, my values are that I really value this relationship. And I'm acting in a way that is at odds with my values. And so what we can instead do is we can start noticing I'm feeling stressed. I am seeing it for what it is. I need to put self-care or boundaries or whatever it is in place here. 
But what my values are telling me is that this person is important. And so it's emotional agility that allows us then to put the cell phone in the drawer and come to the dinner table and be present or to move out of that role that we often do where it's like, oh, I'm stressed. Everything's terrible. Like, you know, your spouse comes to you in the kitchen to give you a hug and you push them away. And instead we opening ourselves up because we've got a bothness. And, and I'll describe what I mean just very quickly. I, I did this podcast with Ted called Checking In. And one of the episodes is this idea of bothness. You know, bothness is the idea that you can be stressed and even angry with someone but you can use that anger to decimate your relationship and to push away intimacy, or you can face up to that feeling with compassion and curiosity. And you can start saying to yourself, what are tiny tweaks that I can make in my environment that help me to be more values connected? And I might know that every day in the kitchen, my husband reaches out for a hug and I pull away. And I might decide that a tiny tweak that is values connected for me is instead of pulling away to moving because now I'm not letting my emotion drive me. I'm rather living into my values. And these are some of the skills of emotional agility and they sound very abstract, but actually they're very practical. It's like I'm showing up to my feeling with compassion and with curiosity. I'm not letting my feelings dictate me. I'm also saying, who do I want to be in this moment? Like, what are my values here that I want to bring more consistently to the table? Wow. Guys, I know people are talking in the chat. Yeah. I know Susan. you all probably Ooh. have questions. Um, I'm taking heavy notes for myself. <laughs> Me too. Um, I'm taking notes as well. So far away. It's, it's amazing. Um, I, if I could hop in, yeah. I mean, Maria, you were, the thing I love that you brought up is when we force ourselves to be joyous or, you know, sunshine, even amidst these challenging moments, we're almost reducing our power towards other people as well. Like they maybe view us as one dimensional. So can you speak to like maybe the power that we imbue and the way other people see us when we show up authentically. Yes, it's so it's so important. I at the beginning of my TED talk, I use this word, a uh, sabubona. Sabubona is a Zulu phrase that you hear every day in South Africa. It basically means hello, you know, hello. But there's a beautiful and powerful intention behind the word sabubona because sabubona literally translated means I see you. And by seeing you, I bring you into being. And really, emotional agility is asking the question, how do we see ourselves? Do we see ourselves? How do we see our thoughts, our emotions, and our stories in a way that allows us to thrive? And in reality, when we refuse to see ourselves, when we refuse to love ourselves, be kind to ourselves, recognize that if you're feeling something, that's what you're feeling and you don't need to shut down that feeling because of some social dictate that it's like not allowed. So when you see yourself and you are authentic with yourself, as it turns out, you are more able to see others. You are more able to empathize with them, to see their own pain 
and they experiences experience you as more authentic and this is why emotional agility is not just about our own uh, mental health and well-being and our own power but it's also fundamentally about the power that we bring to the world because when we are so stuck in oh everyone's just got to be positive where does that then leave a conversation for instance about uh, racial injustice okay yep. then what it does is it says oh we can't have those conversations because those conversations are negative conversations and that is that, that is basically uh, sentencing the entire world to living into a state of denial and to not actually adjusting and adapting and as human beings being able to bring the best of ourselves forward. And so I think there's real power in being able to say, um, you know, when someone is experiencing cancer, for instance, you know, Maria, like I know in, in your experience, and someone says, just be positive, just be positive. But what if you're having a really bad day? Yeah. And and what if instead of feeling that there's pressure to be positive, you instead feel seen? That I think is far more powerful. And it allows you to be in an authentic place with yourself and with others. And at a social level and a climate change level and a, how do we navigate the world's problems? We're not going to get there by forced positivity. Yeah. We are going to get there by thinking about values, about moving into the place of discomfort, about understanding anger and where anger comes from and what it's signaling about people's sense of equity and justice. And it's with that power that we can create real change. So a couple of things, obviously I want to learn about um, leaning into our values, because it sounds like if you don't know your values or you haven't identified them, that's going to be a problem um, in the kind of, because I think that's what you're inserting in that space between stimulus and response, right? Okay. So I want to lean into that, but I also think that especially in this conversation currently, there's a lot of anger and understanding what anger yes. is signaling is important for everyone to understand. So I want, I want you to explain that. So let's start with anger. Um, we tend not to feel strong emotions about stuff we don't care about. So if you feel rage when you watch the news, that rage might be a signpost that you value equity and fairness. Um, So really what I'm starting to suggest is that for every single emotion, that our emotions are actually data. You know, our emotions are data that signal to us the things that are important. And no change has really come about in the world, uh, you know, without the experience of these difficult emotions. Like if you think about most of the effective change that's come about in the world, whether it's, you know, women's rights or often these are an embodiment of, of anger. So our emotions are data. But what's really important here is our emotions are data. They are not directives. What do I mean here? 
just because I feel angry doesn't mean I need to lash out. Uh, you know, just because I feel undermined in a meeting doesn't mean that I need to now give my notice. Our emotions are data, not directives. So what it means is we can show up to our emotions, our anger, our frustration, but it doesn't mean we let them call the shots. So, you know, just like I can show up to my son's frustration with his baby sister and I can see it, I can hold it, I can love it, I can empathize with it. It doesn't mean that I'm endorsing his idea that he gets to give away to the first stranger he sees in a shopping mall. Okay. We own our emotions. They don't own us. So what does this mean when it comes to anger? When we feel angry, stepping into that anger and understanding what is that anger? You know, is it defensiveness? Is it irritability? Is it something else? What is the value that is being, being signaled? And then asking yourself, how can I, in the calmness, in the wisdom of my values, take active steps that bring me in the direction of those values, okay? So what that might look like is it might look like uh, actively sitting in discomfort to have uncomfortable conversations with our family. It might look like volunteering. It's going to look different for different people. But what is really important here is you're not being driven by the anger. Rather, you are letting the anger signal your values and you are stepping into your values. So it's done from the place of thoughtfulness and wisdom and um, intentionality. I love that. Well, just like you said, it's, it's, it's landing in between the stimulus and the response rather than jumping to the response and having, um, having the wrong effects. So, okay. So then that means we have to identify our values. The values. Yes. So this is really, really important. Uh, and it's important at a day-to-day level and it's also important at a societal level. So let me start with day-to-day day-to-day when we're on social media, uh, we often get sucked into self-comparison. Um, Gee, I need to drive that car. Gee, I need this makeup. Gee, I need these clothes. And this is what is called a social contagion. Social contagion is basically where we start picking up without even realizing it on the behaviors, the wants, the needs of other people. Mm-hmm. And before we know it, we're living someone else's life. Yes. You know, quite literally, you know, quite yes. literally. Oh my God. So we see social contagion so often, you know, when people are running around hoarding toilet paper, that's a, that is an example of social contagion. And so we can start asking ourselves, how do we protect ourselves from social contagion? We start protecting ourselves by knowing who we are and what we stand for. You know, if you know that your value is connectedness rather than materialism, and you've made that in some way explicit for yourself, like you've bought that a bit front and center for yourself, what it actually does is it protects you from social comparison that comes through social media. And social comparison is one of the most psychologically toxic experiences that people can have. So that's at an individual level, at a, at a macro level, 
knowing who we are and what we stand for enables us to bring about change in the world. So of course, then you get to the question that you've asked, which is how do we start identifying our values? So I'll give you some quick examples. The first is when you go to bed each night for a couple of nights, just ask yourself a very simple question. What did I do today that was worthwhile? Okay, what did I do today that was worthwhile? Note, I'm not saying what did I do today that made me happy? Because you can be happy going clubbing, drinking, you, you know, getting stuck in Netflix. Often the question, what did I do today that was worthwhile? It can even be something that can be uncomfortable. You know, you did your business plan or you had a really tough conversation with someone. Often when we answer the question, what did I do today that was worthwhile? That is starting to signpost your values. Another way we can start understanding, understanding our values is by when you feel a tough emotion, imagine that example of that piece of paper, the tough emotion is on the one side. On the other side, what is this signaling to me that is important? Loneliness signals yearning for connection. Ah, I value connection. So start asking yourself, being curious with your emotions. What are my emotions signaling is of value. Another very quick thing that we can do is we can spend, literally, we don't need to make a big deal of this. This is not like, you know, uh, creating, trying to architect a house here. What we're doing is we are just spending time trying to bring this front and, front and center. So we can ask ourselves this question. Even in the midst of this challenge, even in the midst of this uncertainty, who do I choose to be? Who do I choose to be? Often the question will invite particular responses. For me, the responses have been, I choose to be connected. I choose community. These are things that I choose. And we know from the research into this that when you spend even five minutes writing down who do you choose to be, you know, you've just been promoted at work or you've just lost your job, even in the midst of this challenge, who do I choose to be? What that's starting to do is articulate values. So that's number three. So we've got, um, you know, uh, uh, what did I do that was worthwhile? Number two, your emotion and your values on the piece of paper. Number three is even in the midst of this, writing down who do I choose to be? And number four, just very quickly, because it might be helpful for people, is I've got a quiz online that people can find, susandavid.com forward slash learn. It's a five-minute quiz. It lists out a whole lot of values, and it's basically an emotional agility quiz that around 120,000 people have taken to date, and it gives you a 10-page report. Those, as a start, I, you know, of course, speak about this a lot in my book, Emotional Agility, but those, as a start, are very powerful in helping us to connect with our why, who we are as human beings. I don't think I've ever had a better conversation in my life. I have, this is my favorite conversation <laughs> of my entire wow. life. I don't think I I've ever learned. Well, so I'm, 
<laughs> I feel passionate about this, as you can probably tell. Yes, but you're also sunshine. And, and I, I honestly feel like you should be, <laughs> I was thinking of like the super nanny, but like the emotional nanny for all humankind. Yes. Like you should yes. be on TV every day being our emotional nanny. We Everyone need you. I would love to because I feel so passionate about this. And I think that like so much of what is going on in our narratives at an individual level and at a societal level just feels toxic. And, you know, what's really interesting is the same emotional skills that create resilience for us as human beings are the emotional skills that actually create resilience for organizations and are the same skills that help us to be resilient as a society where we are expanding our capacity rather than this constant siloing and shrinking and us and them and this this reductive way that I think we are coming to the conversation that we all need to be having. Yeah, well, there is a very strong us and them conversation in every area of yes. our lives right now. Um, we're, we're living in a really polarized time. And if you're caught in the middle, I mean, there's just, that's not a good space either, right? Because you have the least amount of support in the middle. <laughs> At least I feel like if you're on one of the polarizing ends, you've got more, you know, more supporters that way. So how yeah. do you, how do you get, how do you break down the us and them? And, and how does that get healed because I don't think us and them is a good place for us to live in. And maybe it's a means to an end. I don't know. You're the expert. How, how do we get out of that? <laughs> well, I, I, I've been thinking a lot about this idea of, I've been thinking a lot about wisdom, you know, like what is, what is wisdom? Because my sense is that so much of the us and them, the wrong and right, the good and bad emotions it's very reductionistic. It's it's basically um, it's it's a it's it's almost kind of taking away the power of who we are as human beings, which is so capacious and capable and and you know like we have so much capacity in us. And what's fascinating is that when we as human beings feel a lot of fear. And a lot of that fear uh, is not immediate, it's peripheral. Okay, so when you've got um, fear of, gee, I'm going to lose my job, or gee, there's this virus, or what actually happens is, uh, I won't go kind of into the whole psychology of why this is, but there's this whole area of psychology that's called mortality salience. And basically, what this area of psychology does is it shows that when we as human beings feel fearful, what it does is it tries to move us into the space of self-protection. And of course, when you're protecting you and yours and your tribe, what does that mean? It means that there is a you and there is an other. Mm. There is another tribe. There is the enemy. And so these, these skills around emotional agility where we are now we're not trying to do away with fear. We're trying to be courageous and actually comfortable with fear. And we're starting to say, um, gee, that's really interesting that you've got that perspective. 
we're not coming to the conversation from defensiveness and fear. We come into the conversation from compassion and curiosity. Like that must be like a really tough situation that you are in right now that you, you know, are facing and it, and it might not be something that I'm experiencing, but that sounds like that is tough for you. And I think it's only when we move into that space of the, the uncomfortable conversation, but that is an embodiment of curiosity that we actually are able to move forward. And maybe, you know, I can, I, I don't know if this is helpful, but I remember when my father was, uh, when I was around five years old, I was very fearful of death. Um, it's, it's, it's not that I was morbid when I was growing up. A lot, of, a lot of children at that age become aware of their own mortality. And so I was five and I became aware that one day I was going to die and one day my parents were going to die. And I was terrified. And I remember um, night after night going into my parents' room. They would put me to bed, they would go to bed, and then I would crawl out and I would come and I would lie between them. And I would say to my father, promise me you'll never die. Mm. Promise me you'll never die. Now, my father could have done a forced false positivity. He could have said to me, don't worry about it. I'll be around. I'm healthy. He was healthy at that time. You know, none of us knew that in 10 short years, he would be gone. But he didn't try to build some false denial buffer between yeah. me and reality. What he did was he comforted me with soft pats and kisses, but he never lied. He said to me, Susie, it's normal to be scared. We all die. It's normal to be scared. And it's really important for you to think about how you want to live your life. And, you know, what I feel was wow. remarkable in what I think my father was trying to teach me was that, again, the narrative is that we should conquer fear and just be happy. But... The reality is that courage, being courageous in this world, is not about the absence of fear. Courage is not about not feeling fear or never dying or never being sad or angry. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is about being able to notice your emotions with curiosity and with compassion and then saying, who do I want to be? You know, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is fear walking. Courage is fear walking. And so when we're in these moments of difficult conversation in society, often what we want to do is we want to block out, deny, push aside. But actually what we often need to do is move into the conversation in a way that is fear walking, because that is, I think, a greater embodiment of human values, which is around understanding and um, humanity, as opposed to us and them. Yeah. 
How I know that was heavy and that's a lot, but I just am still trying to understand how you don't, I'm trying to understand how you can move away from wanting to protect yourself and your family. Right. Because that's, that's an instinct, right. To protect the instinct, the instinct is absolutely, you know, the instinct is to protect or the instinct when you have uh, a difficult thought is, you know, the instinct might be that like, oh my goodness, you know, that thought is a bad thought, you know, but we, we have thousands of thoughts every day and like, this is our body and our psychology just trying to do its job. You know, if you have this instinct or if you have these difficult thoughts, they're normal, you know, right now if you're feeling fearful or defensive angry sad like that's normal yeah that is your body and psychology dealing with threat you know if there was ever a threat that human beings are experiencing right now you know in the context of a global pandemic the shadow of illness and death it it is threat and so if you experiencing difficult emotions or that level of defensiveness right now, that's normal. That's normal. But again, I think if we can kind of notice that and say, my instinct, my reactive way of being is to jump in and to lash out and to push away. But what I can do is I can actually, there is actually an alternative there is actually a way that I can notice those thoughts and those emotions with uh, compassion and curiosity and then say, I can still come to this conversation, but how do I come to it? And I'll give you just a simple example of what that looks like. If you're really, you know, unhappy uh, with a partner or with a spouse, the one way you can deal with that unhappiness is by defending self and and moving into that space that we described earlier, which is an, a me and a you and a, um, you know, never the twain shall meet orientation. But, you know, the alternative is where we notice, gee, I'm feeling sad or angry with this person. And that sadness or anger is actually because there is something that's really important to me that is at stake here. Rather than someone's doing something wrong. Yeah. When you say someone's doing something, then it's like us and them. And it's like, it's about the person. Okay. There's something important to me at stake here. How can I have a conversation with this person that helps us to both connect with values. And what's really interesting is when you look at a lot of the, you know, uh, um, the the us and them, them type conversations, and you actually kind of drill down to what is it you're trying to do? As people, we're trying to look after our families. We're trying to um, care for those we love. Like these are common values. The pathways can often be completely different. And of course, I have my own beliefs and opinions as to what pathways, you know, I hold to. But when we're trying to have a difficult conversation, going into that difficult conversation with, I am right and you are wrong, isn't helpful. A a more important question to be asking ourselves is, 
I may be right, but is the way I'm coming to this serving me? Is it serving my values? And is it serving how I want to be in the world? Because as human beings, we all become hooked on or emotionally in agile, rigid. We all become rigid with right and wrong. Yeah. You know, I'm right and that person is wrong. You know, someone might say, I haven't spoken to my brother in five years because I had an argument with him and I'm right and he's wrong. And I can't even remember what the argument was about, but I'm right and he's wrong. And we all get so hooked on right and wrong. But the more important question, the more emotionally agile question is, if the gods of right, if the gods of right came down and said, you are right, you are right, you are right, your boss is an idiot, your colleague is a fraud, um, you know, your brother, you know, did this thing, you are right, you're right. You still get to ask yourself the more important question, which is, what can I do here? that brings me closer towards being the person, the loved one, the leader, the change maker that I most want to be. I may be right, but is my action serving me? Drop the mic. I mean, <laughs> I, I, the only thing to follow up on that that I have is, you know, like, in life, there is right and wrong, right? Like imagine someone commits murder, right? Um, your, your brother murders your friend, let's say. That there's right and wrong. So there is right and wrong in life. But you're saying almost in a sense, unhook yourself from the need to be right so that you can be free of the result, Maybe. Correct. Of course, there is right and there is wrong and there is fact and there is not fact. Okay. Yeah. And there is science and there is not science. Like, you know, there are, there is evidence and there is not evidence. What I'm talking about is how, isn't it fascinating that we as human beings can put a man on the moon, a man on the moon or a woman one day, we can automate pizza delivery so you do not need to interact with another human being. And yet the stuff that stuffs us up time and time again is not about the logical, critical, um, you know, is the strategy right? Like the stuff that stuffs us up as human beings is not about our cleverness, but it's this difficult, messy human way that we come to our emotional experiences. And so when we let go of the idea that I am defined by being right, and when I define myself by being right, then by definition, the other person is wrong. And instead, I'm able to breathe into the place of wisdom in myself, which basically says, um, what I'm trying to do here is I'm trying to create real change in which all people are seen and in which all people have value. And is the way that I'm coming to that conversation serving that value of mine? 
or is it actually perpetuating a right and wrong division, unseen way of being in the world? So the way we come to our emotions and the way we come to our thoughts matters in profound ways with all of the conversations that we are having um, about everything, you know, about about uh, the virus, about racial justice, about um, climate change. Is the way that I'm coming to the conversation bringing me closer to what it is I'm really trying to do here? Or am I inadvertently getting so stuck in my thoughts, my emotions, and my stories that I'm actually putting up obstacles that are hindering my capacity to bring about change? Whether that change is in my family, with my children, or whether it's the broader conversation we're having. Wow. Dr. David, we need you to come back. A I lot, would love to. A lot. Um, I would love to. <laughs> I, I, um, I'm going to be calling some producers after this because I'm going to produce your TV show. <laughs> uh, I am so grateful for you and for sharing, I mean, so many years of knowledge. I mean, you just changed so much in so many people's minds and hearts in just an hour's time. It's crazy. Well, thank you for inviting me to have this conversation. I think so much of the power is being open to the conversation. And I think if we can all do that, we are in a much better place. So I'm so grateful to you that you are enabling these kinds of conversations. Thank you. It's part of my values. So there you go. What are your values? That's one of my values is helping people. Yeah. And so I feel like I get to do that every day. And when I think of what's worthwhile at the end of my day, these conversations are always what's been worthwhile in my, in my day. And when you have a tough day, then it's like, oh, I have to do such and such. But if you kind of reconnect with, oh, it's because this is my value, what you're shifting is the goal from a have to into a want to. And there's something so powerfully liberating in that. So that's such a beautiful way of coming to the world. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, the book, of course, is incredible. It's called Emotional Agility. It can be found wherever books are sold. Um, I am going to be taking the emotional agility test in about four minutes. I'll probably just do it live <laughs> on Instagram with everybody. Uh, you can do that at Susan's website, doctor uh, www.susandavid.com. We'll put the link in the summary for you. And if you want to follow her on Instagram at Susan David underscore PhD. Um, thank you so, so much. And we will be speaking soon. Thank you. I look so forward to it. Take care. Guys, I don't remember another episode where I took notes so feverishly. Yeah. Maria, I have three pages in here. I almost I'm started obsessed. crying by Me the too. end. I mean, I did yeah. kind of a couple of times throughout. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, yeah. Right? Same. I feel like I got re- my brain rewired. How powerful was that? Such an important voice. And like, you know, I mean, I just think like simply by reframing the way we look at who we are can change the world. Like I actually, you know, Dr. Siegel talked about this too. It's, it's that sort of 
taking a step back, really looking at who we are and what we believe, and then approaching our lives with that at the forefront, it can change the world. It's crazy. I love just the whole, I mean, the whole idea of not letting your emotions own you, right? And just like something so simple like that applies to everything, everything. But it's not simple. That's the reality is, like she was saying, we're all... We're all coming in. I'm, I'm anxious. I'm tired. I'm this, I'm that. But yeah. if you really realize what you're saying, you're like, no, you are not those things. Yeah. You feel those things. You feel those things. You're noticing that also, you're feeling. Right. Um, one of the things I learned at Tony Robbins was that um, stress is code word for fear. Wow. And so um, whenever you're saying you're stressed, you might as well just be saying I'm fearful. Um, so that's a really good kind of tip to kind of decipher what you're really saying so that you can say, okay, and this is how we kind of look at it. We'll say, okay, so I'm fearful. What's the worst case scenario? And then work backwards from there. Um, but man, I, I'm going to listen to this 20 more times and I am going to create the emotional super nanny. Just saying. I love it. I love it too. Um, and, uh, yeah, thank you guys for joining us as always. Um, Please share this episode because I don't know one person that doesn't need it. Um, tomorrow, we're going to be rerunning an amazing interview we had with Michelle Fan. Make sure you guys tune in. Um, she is uh, a YouTube guru in the makeup space and has gone through so much and shared a great journey with us. Um, and if you haven't liked, subscribed, please do. Um, and help us pass our 1,000 uh, reviews mark on Apple Podcasts. I'm so grateful for the new reviews that have come in, and we're grateful for the ones that are to come. Thank you so much. Um, is it Thursday? Yeah, it's officially the weekend for us. Um, follow us at Maria Menunos, at Susan David underscore PhD, like I said, at Ryan Nielsen, at Jeffrey Crane Graham, at Kels Meyer, too. And remember, be nice people, make good choices, and be present. Hey, Hill Squad, we have been on quite the journey together, and we're hearing from so many of you just how much this show is helping you heal and get better, and it makes us feel so good. We love, love, love it, and we just ask that you don't keep it to yourself. Spread the message and share the show or your favorite episode with your friends. And if you want to help us even more, you can leave us a five-star rating and a comment on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and follow us on Instagram at Heel Squad. You can also DM us anytime because we love connecting with you. And finally, you can also join us on Patreon for our monthly live heel events with world-class healers and ad-free episodes exclusive only to Patreon and our Super Heel Squad for as little as $10 a month. So go to patreon.com backslash heel squad to join. Getting better isn't easy, friends, but as I say all the time, it's a whole lot easier if we can do it together. We love you all so much, and we love doing this thing called life with you.